The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you interested in changing a part of your life? Whether it's finances, relationships, reducing stress, or just personal health, sometimes just changing a few small things can bring great rewards. Welcome to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wadwa. We'll provide possible steps you need to see these improvements. All we ask is that you try them out. Now, here is Dr. Serena Wadwa. All right, and welcome to today's show. I am really excited about our very intriguing topic. And our guest speaker today is Dr. Raven James. She is an associate professor of addiction studies and behavioral health at Governor State University. She's been, um, her background is all in sexuality, maybe not personally, but, you know, definitely professionally, (laughs) and has centered mainly her work on women, HIV prevention, working with LGBT issues, and overall improving sexual self-esteem and sexual health um, in both substance abuse recovery and just general recovery, just with people in general. Um, She's also wrote a book on sexuality and addiction, Making Connections, Enhancing Recovery, is an active member of several organizations and has another book coming out in a couple years. And so, wow, we're, we're going to be talking about sex today and sexuality. So welcome to the show, Dr. James. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sex Absolutely. Sex is a good thing to talk so, about. What's that? Sex is a good thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes we don't always do that. No, we don't always do it in a positive way. And I think, you know, being bombarded with a lot of negative sexual messages certainly contributes to how people feel about themselves as sexual beings and how they go forth and and achieve sexual wellness. And so that leads me into my first question is, you know, what, what, what is sexual wellness? What do you see as being like a, the components of being sexually well? Well, Sexual wellness to me is, is pretty synonymous with sexual health. And, and sexual health is not uh, merely the absence of disease. Because so I think when people think about sexuality, they think about diseases sometimes, STIs and HIV and, and, and rape and trauma. And so it's not merely the absence of that, but it, it concerns in numerous areas of sexuality, including uh, sensuality, uh, which is the awareness and acceptance of and comfort with our own bodies, uh, kind of the physiological and psychological enjoyment of our own bodies and the bodies of others. Uh, it also concerns uh, intimacy, how we relate to other people. And intimacy, uh, when we think about intimacy, I know sometimes people say, well, I was intimate with that person, meaning sexual, but uh, intimacy is more about the ability to be close to another person and have that closeness returned. 
So some of the things around uh, being intimate include, you know, the ability to be vulnerable to somebody to kind of allow that in. Um, Other areas include uh, sexual identity, um, so kind of the development of a sense of who we are as a sexual person, uh, including who we're attracted to, you know, in a sense of like our maleness and femaleness, Uh, because then there's certainly a spectrum across there. Sexual health and reproduction are also components of sexual wellness, and those include, uh, you know, the kind of the nuts and bolts of sexuality, so uh, how things work. And, and, and typically, I think in this country, if we learned anything about sexuality growing up, it was, it was in this area uh, about factual information, so kind of the plumbing, uh, how do things work, you know, how do the parts go together. Uh, but sexual health and reproduction also include things about uh, our attitudes, our feeling and feelings and attitudes that we have towards sexuality. And I think some of these other areas don't get discussed enough when we talk about sexuality. And the last piece concerns uh, sexualization, which is about using sexuality to influence and manipulate others. This can be uh, con- conceived in a, a negative way when we think about, okay, rape or incest or sexual harassment, but um, it it's also has a positive component because when we think about, well, how do we get someone to, how do we let somebody know that we're attracted to them? You know, we do things like flirting. We use our kind of our sexuality to influence that person to kind of send signals out uh, to see if it's reciprocal. You know, I'm, I'm kind of digging on you. Are you digging on me? Uh, so all these areas interact with each other uh, to to create a picture of sexual wellness. And so for, I think, oftentimes individuals have experiences in one of the areas uh, that I talked about, uh, sexualization, sensuality, intimacy, sexual identity, or sexual health and reproduction, where they've been harmed or they didn't, they got mixed messages or mixed messages about what that means, or they, they were shamed about uh, components of themselves that had to do with who they were as sexual individuals, and, and this contributes to, uh, I think, some of the disease and some of the risks, sexual risks that people take. They're not, they're not really sure how to navigate that landscape. The, the landscape of? Being sexually well. Of being sexually well. So it sounds like, I mean, I really like these areas that you talked about because it sounds as though, I mean, they're very um, interconnected for one. And, you know, what you mentioned that most of the time, especially, you know, perhaps in this society and in this culture, in American culture, we tend to hear more about like that, um, the sexualization piece you mentioned, and more kind of the, um, like the functionality of sex, you know, and how your bodies work. And, you know, what's the difference between males and females from a physiological perspective, things like that. Yeah, and that's correct. We don't learn as much about, um, like, with the sensuality circle, for example, things that fall under that circle include things like body image, how we feel about how we look, and how that defines how we interact with other people, or uh, if we feel that we're attractive or not to another person, or our own personal behavior. So, you know, if I feel like I don't fit into society's standards of what a woman or what a man should look like, that I might go uh, to certain lengths to uh, engage in behaviors that are unhealthy for me, trying to achieve 
a standard that uh, really isn't uh, realistic or it, it may not even be something that, you know, I'm comfortable with, but I'm doing it to try to kind of fit into society. Another area under sensuality includes the human sexual response cycle. So how people are aroused, uh, the desire, arousal, and uh, orgasm, uh, how people are able to kind of move through that cycle and uh, achieve uh, sexual satisfaction within relationships, sexual relationships that they have with other people. And there's oftentimes, so body image will interact with desire or arousal sometimes because if I don't feel like I'm attractive when I'm engaging in uh, sexual behavior with a romantic partner, that could, inter- that could impede or interfere with my ability to achieve an orgasm if I feel, you know, I don't feel like I'm attractive to the partner that I'm with. Um, there's a couple other areas under sensuality. Uh, skin hunger is one, and I know we've talked about this before. <laughs> yes, and that's yes. such a great, such a great phrase. Skin hunger. What is skin that? Hunger. And I talk about skin hunger because it's it's uh, actually it's a really it's a big component, and it's been a big component of the work that I do with women in uh, addictions uh, who who have addiction issues. Um, skin is the largest organ on our bodies. And we have the physiological need to be touched. Yeah. And the, the term uh, kind of came about, they, uh, researchers looked at infants and babies with uh, skin hunger, and they uh, studied them, babies that were not held, uh, touched, or nurtured, uh, did worse than babies who were kind of got those skin hunger needs met, where they were held, they were nurtured, they were loved. Uh, they received kind of that res- that that touch uh, response that they needed, and the babies who were not held uh, or got the same amount of the touch needs met, they did worse uh, emotionally, mentally, and, and physically as they developed as infants and toddlers. And then this, mm-hmm. in turn, had an impact on uh, later on in life how they how they developed. Um, so I think that there's an impact there where particularly in adolescence when uh, teens are starting to explore and, and, you know, their puberty is hitting, their hormones are kind of kicking in. And uh, for some people, depending on on their circumstances, uh, and and women in particular, girls, uh, looking to have kind of those needs met, they will sometimes confuse that skin hunger touch with... uh, if a, if a boy or their romantic partner is paying attention to them and giving them sexual touch, they confuse that with love and intimacy. So in order mm. for them to get those needs met, sometimes they go to lengths that perhaps they're not mentally or emotionally prepared to deal with, but because they're not getting their skin hunger needs met, they achieve it through the attention of a sexual or a romantic partner. So, so people can kind of get into trouble with that. Yeah. So so it, it it sounds like what you're saying then is that skin hunger is actually a pretty um, quote unquote normal experience for people. That, it is. That it, I mean, okay. if, if you have skin, you're you know you're going to be hungry. <laughs> yeah, your skin's going to be hungry. It's going to it's going to need to be touched. So when you say that, like the skin hunger, you know, and you talked a little bit about um, pieces like body image and and how that can all interact with, you know, the the perceived need to have 
um, a sexual encounter or, you know, confusing that with love and being intimate with somebody. I'm, I'm a little curious then, you know, how, how, you know, like maybe what's a suggestion or two you can offer um, in the couple minutes we have before break, um, you know, to give our listeners um, just something to kind of digest in terms of how to start separating that. Well, if you are thinking about your kids and you're not a touchy-feely person, because I think about People are raised different ways, and, and in different cultures, it's more acceptable or more expected to receive that touch and hugs, and people will smother their kids with love and put their arms around them and just hold them. If we're not a real touchy-feely kind of family, then we might want to think about ways that we can try to incorporate that, um, mm. even if it's just holding hands, uh, putting your hand on your, your kid's shoulder, you know, stroking their arm, touching their hair, feeling their head, having that physical interaction with them, giving them hugs, comforting them when they're, when they're sad or they're disappointed or they uh, hurt themselves rather than saying, well, you know, for example, a little boy falls and boys are supposed to be tough and not cry. Well, maybe instead of doing that and pushing the boy off, you would want to just give him a hug and hold him and tell him it's okay and kind of meet that skin hunger need. Um, in terms of people who are older, who are adults or young adults or in relationships, just being able to kind of relate to each other on more of a, a touch level where there's not necessarily sex, sexual intercourse as an end result attached to that, but where we kind of touch each other and hold each other and hug each other, kind of just giving that acceptance piece because the hugging piece is really I think, a, a critical component where we can comfort somebody and not have any expectations that it's not going to lead to sex or we're not expecting it to lead to something that it's not about will encourage that piece of separating out that, well, every component of touch has to lead to a sexual behavior, that it's okay to have touch and 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 get those physiological needs met, but that it's not going to turn into a sexual experience. And that can deepen the experience of being intimate and being close with another person. And let's come back to that topic after we take a short break. So stay with us. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. 
Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drserenawathwa at gmail.com. That's drserenawathwa at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right. Well, welcome back, listeners. And before we breaked, uh, we were talking about this notion of, you know, one way to kind of start improve, not improving, but moving forward, mainly with this notion of fulfilling skin hunger, which is, you know, I think such a great concept, um, was that, you know, Dr. James, you talked about this notion of physical contact and how touch can be a very, very important um, venue for creating um, sexual wellness, you know, just by being able to physically touch people and in it, you know, in an appropriate, connective, intimate way where where people are giving hugs or they're touching their shoulder, like you mentioned, things like that. And, you know, I'm a little curious about, um, you know, because you had mentioned something earlier, too, about, um, you know, that particularly in this culture, and I know in a previous discussion you and I had, um, you know, you had mentioned that, um to some degree, society is sexually traumatized, sexually ignorant, and sexually secretive. And that got me thinking in terms of, you know, how do those kinds of things get in the way for individuals to become more sexually healthy? You know, particularly in the areas that you mentioned about sensuality, intimacy, identity, reproduction, sexualization, you know, the, the more positive avenues. Sure. Uh I'll start with uh, our culture being sexually ignorant. Um, when, when we compare U.S. culture to uh, many of the European cultures, we, are, uh, we have the highest rates of teen pregnancy, of, of teen and, and uh, STI rates, sexually transmitted infections, the highest rates of uh, HIV. And when we look at why, some of the links to why that is, uh, we don't... Uh, embrace sexuality as a positive. There's a lot of fear, I think, associated with that. And there are some cultural reasons for that when we look at how this, uh, fa- or how this um, country was founded with uh, the Puritans and they kind of came over and, and brought these um, restrictive, kind of constrictive sexual um, attitudes uh, to this country that it has really lingered and, and kind of taken root. Um, that we have a fear around being sexual. Um, when we look at some of the approaches in the European countries, sex is just matter of fact, it's part of who we are through the lifespan. We're sexual beings from birth to death. Uh, there's uh, images of uh, with ultrasounds, with uh, fetuses in, in, in the womb. Uh, boys having erections um, throughout the lifespan, even with infancy, when I teach my behavioral health and my lifespan development courses. Uh, vaginas lubricate. Um, 
ch- children have uh, their, their sexuality around children where they experience pleasure. I think of an example of a past partner of mine, and she talked about her niece. Her niece was uh, playing with one of those toys, a uh, little soccer ball toy, and it vibrated, and it had a, like, on switch. And so when you click the switch on, it would vibrate, and it would bounce around the floor. Well, she talked about how the, her niece was sitting on the on the toy, and it was vibrating, and she just had a big smile on her face. Well, she was experiencing <laughs> pleasure around right. that. And mm-hmm. so that, how do we talk to our kids about uh, masturbation? How do we talk to them about uh, sexual pleasure in, in age-appropriate ways? Uh, we recently had a conference here with uh, Dr. Jocelyn Elders for Gender Matters, and she was our keynote speaker, a U.S. Surgeon General who was... Uh, came to the White House as she was in the Clinton administration and was fired in part for talking about pregnancy prevention and uh, mas- the, including a masturbation with uh, sexual topics that we discuss in society. And this was in the 1990s, and now it's 2014, and we look at what are the sex-negative messages that are still being put out in society. Um, I'm on Facebook a lot, and I have a Facebook page for my professional, my personal uh, life, and uh, I recently ran across an uh, article that was t- uh, Mississippi, the state of Mississippi. Uh, uh, they have the highest rate of teen pregnancy in the country, and it wasn't until this year that sex education became a mandatory part of the high school, school uh, curriculum. So oh, wow. their curriculum uh, actually uh, talked about uh, how women are like dirty pieces of chocolate. Mm. And they had this uh, kind of negative slant on the curriculum has teachers giving peppermint patties to the students, having them unwrap them and pass them around. And then once the piece of chocolate makes it around the classroom, students are told that uh, when they have sex, they're like that dirty piece of candy. Wow. And so this is in 2014. And when we don't have positive sexuality, positive sexual health information that's being provided, A, by the parents. I think there's a definite onus on the parents. But if we're a parent and we don't know about sex ed and we don't know how to talk about it, we're not sure kind of how to talk to our kids about it. Yeah. And then we look to the schools, and I think that there's an overwhelming desire that parents have in this country for comprehensive sexuality education where kids are getting the facts, but they're also talking about some of the other issues around that. So I think it's not just giving the, the plumbing, the anatomy and physiology, like here's the vagina, here's the uterus, here's how things work, here's how a, a woman gets pregnant. Um, it's more about how do we interact with each other and how do we stay safe in, in society. And those are well, the it- conversations I think that are uncomfortable for people. And if we mm-hmm. can uh, the Advocates for Youth.org uh, is a great website that has a ton of lesson plans that are age appropriate. Because we had one girl that uh, talked about, she had the question, kindergarten, really? To talk about sex ed in kindergarten. And it's like, well, we're not t- talking to kindergartners about how to have intercourse. We're talking to them about, okay, here's your nose, here's your arm and your finger, and this is your penis and your vagina. So giving names to body parts that name them and don't avoid talking about genitals. That's part of our body too. So it just starts with the basics. Mm. So it's a normal kind of part of conversation and we start to become comfortable with, okay, this is part of who I am and it's okay to talk about it. 
So, I mean, it sounds like, so, I mean, one thing I hear you say is absolutely, it sounds like you believe that there needs to be some shift in how we bring it into um, the education system. You know, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, like for listeners that are listening in right now, um, you know, how, how do you suggest that they may start becoming more comfortable in talking about sexual wellness and sexuality and, you know, just even these different pieces that you mentioned? I think that some of it starts with just kind of having an accurate idea of all the components that sexuality includes. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I think about health, I think, I think about health in a holistic way. We have the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, and the mental. And it's the same with sexuality. We have these different components of who we are. It's not just about the plumbing. It's not just about how we identify. It's not just about our behaviors. It's also about our experiences and how we feel about who we are and how we relate to other people and what our comfort level is and mm-hmm. also some of the messages that we've received growing up. And I think that that can be a big uh, piece that inhibits individuals from feeling good about who they are or feeling like, well, I'm not quite sure how to get past this because I've been told my whole life that this is bad and it's, uh, it's you know, I'm going to go to hell because I believe this or it's a part of me that, um, you know, I really struggle with. Um, for people to kind of try to reconcile, find a way to reconcile that through education mm-hmm. and through developing comfort. Um, I know I worked for an AIDS organization for um, almost eight years in upstate New York, and I talked about HIV education, and inherent in talking about that is talking about sexual risk, and it's also talking about how do we stay safe and what, you know, kind of what gets us into trouble. And so for me, to be able to help other people with that, I had to learn how to be comfortable with it. And so if if I'm not comfortable with my own body and how it works or even understand how it works, uh, I'm going to have difficulty with relating to another person. Does that make sense? Completely, yeah. So it sounds yeah. like, I mean, there's two things that I heard in there um, that sound like um, small, you know, steps that people can start kind of thinking about and maybe digesting is one is kind of looking at the messages that they've received about their own sexuality yeah, and, and, and just kind of the secrecy that may have been um, surrounding it, you know, cause I, I can see, like, I know in some cultures it is very taboo to talk about sex, you know, and you don't, and you don't do it. You don't talk about it. You don't know anything about it until, you know, you're, you're married or you're of age or whatever the case may be, which is, which works at the same time. And I think in American culture here, it, it's a much different message. And then people get, very, very conflicted messages, you know, it, in the society here. So it sounds like one thing you say is, you know, look at these messages that, that you're given. Look at your own comfort level with even just saying like those basic words like vagina, penis, orgasm. You know, if you're not comfortable with it, then it is going to be much more difficult to talk about those issues with other people. So I think those are um, some great um, some great initial steps. And, 
you know, maybe later on in the show, we could talk about a few more. Um, I think one thing, too, that you mentioned that I'd like to come back to after the break is um, the sense of connection. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit earlier on um, in relation to intimacy and also being vulnerable. And so when we come back from break, um, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about that and then go into, um, you know, what what might be some benefits of sexual health and sexual wellness. So we'll tune, or tune back in right after this break and uh, we'll be right back. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You read about it in health news every day. Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year. We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you have cancer, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. While many medical professionals can give us some of the answers, there are many more unanswered questions that can't always be answered to our satisfaction. Listen for Cancer Concepts and Compliments with Dr. James Belanger. We'll discuss the tests, the compromised immune system, how cancer grows, and what natural medicines could be added to conventional therapies that may help keep it at bay. Cancer Concepts and Compliments airs live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drserenawathwa at gmail.com. That's drserenawathwa at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right. Welcome back. And uh, before the break, we were talking about, you know, um, this notion about how society is sexually traumatized, sexually ignorant and sexually secretive. And then kind of talked a little bit about how one way to break through some of that secrecy, um, you know, maybe also looking at your own messages, negative messages that you've received about um, sexuality and sexual wellness or sexual health. And, um, you know, I'm curious a little bit, and I I know we want to come back to the sexually traumatized and sexually ignorant piece, which you also mentioned a a bit ago. I I do want to come back to this notion of um, uh, vulnerability, you know, because you talked about that with the intimacy um, circle. And, you know, the idea that came in my head when you mentioned that was that, you know, intimacy too, in some, for some people can really also be about connection. And it sounded like that was kind of what you were talking about with even the skin hunger, that you could feel connected 
to somebody by a hug or by a physical contact, which doesn't have to be sexualized. Oh, sure. And to- and I think being connected like that, um, a lot of it is dependent on a person's uh, past experiences. Yeah. How they were raised, how they started dating, how they got into relationships, what happened to them, did they have a partner cheat on them, were their parents there for them. A lot of our earlier experiences will will impact the way that we relate to people when we get into romantic relationships. Mm. And I know that if a parent or authority figure that, you know, we were close to growing up kind of let us down. We, you know, we learned that disappointment. We learned to be guarded, to protect ourselves, to protect our emotions. And I think that translates, people end up kind of shifting that to the relationships that they get in. And of course, it's, it's not a negative thing to be able to get to know somebody and develop intimacy on smaller steps where we, you know, we share a little bit of ourselves and we see what we get in return. Because sometimes mm. people, I think, will share a little bit of themselves and they don't get anything in return. And so they keep sharing. Mm. And, and I think that there's some gender differences with that. I think it's easier for women. We're socialized to you know, be close, be the nurturers, be the people who are supportive and loving. And so we share a lot of ourselves. We give parts of ourselves away without expecting anything in return. Well, when we're in a romantic relationship, at least in my opinion, I have expectations. I want to get something back. I mm-hmm. have, this is my life at stake. So I want to be involved with somebody who's willing to uh, whether they can give it back the way that I think I want it given back or they can give it back in a way that shows kind of some trust, um, some communication, uh, some development of interest together, willingness to spend time together. Those are really important. And I think that when when people get involved in relationships and they forget about the fact that, well, this is also about you, um, you need to be able to get your needs met. Um, if you have an idea of what your needs are, that's easier to do. But some people, I think, especially when we're younger and we're kind of trying to figure things out, because if we don't go through life with a manual, there's no manual that tells us, here's how to be, uh, here's mm. how to raise your kids, here's how to get in romantic relationships, here's how to be that person who's going to be happy for the rest of their life, which mm-hmm. in some ways is a myth because we know that uh, life gets in the way, but you know how are we able to kind of make those connections and and also kind of demand demand some return our, on our investment because it, it's a two way street. It's, it's a relationship, so we have to give. We also have to receive. And if we don't receive, are we willing to put up with that, or are we worth more? And I think mm. that for many of us, we don't place enough value in our own worth in a relationship, and so we. We kind of settle for what what we get, and that's not always healthy. And then when time goes by and we get ingrained in that or entrenched in that kind of relationship, it makes it harder to extract ourselves if it really isn't what we wanted. Uh, so I think if people took a little more time kind of at the front end and looked at, you know, what do I want? You know, ask yourself that before you even get involved with somebody. What, you know, what would you like from a, a relationship? What do you expect? your partner to do 
you know, in, in many aspects of your life. So not just sexually or romantically or intimately, but doing household chores, doing the finances. Do you want kids together? There's so many different areas that kind of go into developing relationships that I don't think people are considering all of that up front. Well, I'm curious about, um, you know, like for listeners that may already be in a relationship, if, they, if they're looking to become more sexually healthy or sexually well, um, you know, given where they're at. I mean, what what might be some of those things that they can ask themselves? You know, because I think we don't often talk about these these ideas of sensuality. You know, I think you mentioned it was like um, body image and, you know, how we respond to other people when we're attracted to them and flirting and stuff like that. And, you know, this notion of being intimate, that it doesn't it doesn't just involve um, a sexual intimacy. There's much more to it than than just the actual act itself. And then, you know, this identity piece. So I'm I'm just a little curious about you know maybe um, if there's something you can provide for listeners that may already be in a relationship. How how do they how do they navigate that when it comes to sexual health? Well, in terms of I know that you kind of mentioned a couple of different things here, and when we're, if we're looking at sexual components of sexual health, you know, how familiar, familiar, familiar are you with your own body? How comfortable mm-hmm. are you with your own body? Um, can you uh, have an orgasm when you're relating to somebody sexually? So, I mean, it, a lot of it depends on what a person is looking for to kind of deepen that intimacy or what they're afraid of or what they're not sure of that -hmm. might be inhibiting them. And so if we're looking at kind of sexual components, uh, fantasy is part of sensuality that can be bringing a a big piece of satisfaction within a relationship. Um, Are we able to achieve orgasm? Um, Do we, have we masturbated? Do we know how our body uh, functions, how it performs? For some people, I think that if there's sexual dysfunction going on, that that can be an inhibitor. That all depends on what the inhibitor is mm-hmm. and what the person wants to get out of their relationship. So, you know, have we talked to our partner about our sexual fantasies? Do they know kind of the pieces of what we think about? Are they going to be threatened by that? Because some people don't want to talk about fantasy because they might be threatened if we've thought about, well, you know, I've, I've fantasized about having sex with someone of the same sex and how do we talk about this or make it like a normal part of conversation, whether it leads to a behavior change is not necessarily the kind of the result or the outcome of the conversation, but just being able to have that safety net that it's okay to talk about these things and it doesn't mean I want to do them or it doesn't mean that I'm going to cheat on you. Uh, It just kind of opens the door to being able to talk about things that you see or that you sense, kind of those sensory pieces of the environment that turn you on. So Mm. what feels good for you, what feels good for your partner, and how you might be able to think about incorporating doing different things in the relationship that can kind of maybe spice things up or uh, take take the relationship to another level. Mm. So... I mean, so it sounds like a couple different things I heard you mention there is one, just kind of know 
what your own sexual needs may be, whether it be, you know, fantasies or um, what brings you pleasure as an individual and and being okay with with talking about that or developing that comfort level to talk about it. Because I know you mentioned before that um, you know, something you mentioned about that there is a lot of fear about being sexual. And and I'm a little curious about how, how you think that fear gets in the way um, in the few minutes that we have before break. Um, how do you think that fear gets in the way of sexual health and, and sexual wellness? Well, I think the fear can get in the way in a number of different areas. It's fear of being rejected, mm. uh, fear of somebody accusing you of doing something that you didn't do. Uh, I think we don't, as as human beings, we want to connect with each other uh, to a certain degree. And I think that being faced with rejection and abandonment are big are big fears that people have. And I think that that can get in the way about having sexual discussions mm. or having discussions around um, things that we've thought about or we really long to do with our partner, but we're just afraid. We're afraid that, you know, if I bring this up or I talk about it, they're going to leave me or they're not going to love me as much or they're going to think X or Y. And so that fear of the unknown, kind of jumping in, taking the risk, uh, seeing what happens, um, can get in the way, and I think that that is part of the part of a contributor, and it also could be based on what people have experienced in the past. And so, if they've experienced negative negative outcomes with doing this in in another relationship, that can make the fear even more real for them. So, if we haven't um, had a positive experience with talking about sex, and all we have is negative things to compare it to, that makes it more difficult much more difficult to talk about in a current relationship. About what's about what, what their own um, pleasure senses or fantasies or, you know, yeah. different ideas that they may have. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned like, um, or even being, being, if a person had been raped in their past, yeah, I was gonna um, ask or had that. multiple sexual partners. I know for women, you know, if we talk about, Oh, well, I've had 10 or 20 partners or, three or four partners, uh, you might think I'm a slut versus if a guy has had a lot of sexual partners, you know, he's viewed in a different way. And those are some of the double standards that our society has about men and women. And so if I'm with somebody and I'm afraid to disclose um, some of the things I might have done before that I really liked and I haven't talked with you about them, Mm -hmm. um, that can get in the way. How are you going to view me? Are you going to view me as less of a person or are you going to respect me less? Um, There's a lot that goes on in our heads, unfortunately, that gets in the way of of having these conversations. And I think in the end, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's it's kind of sad. Mm. Well, and, you know, just kind of from what we've discussed so far, I mean, it it sounds like they're, you know, I mean, like what you said, um, you know that there that you do believe that we are sexual beings, and that is a central component of who we are. And being able to embrace that and move forward in, you know, in our own sexual wellness and health can really um, help us in a variety of different ways. It sounds like so. I know, like one of the things, um, you know, that that we had talked about too, in terms of 
um, sexual health or sexual wellness is like, well, what, what can people, I don't know if I want to use the, well, I'm not going to use that word. So what can people um, look forward to? Like in terms of, you know, if they decide to, okay, I want to, I want to move forward with becoming more sexually healthy or um, developing my sexual wellness, what are some of the benefits that may um, exist? And we only got maybe about less than a minute here, um, but I'm wondering if you can just list, okay, actually we got about 30 seconds. I'm wondering if you could just give one for right now. (laughs) The benefits of sexual health are many, and we can, you know, talk about this after the break, but just improved health, uh, everything about our health can be improved through sexual activity, um, through masturbation, uh, through our, our cardio health, um, reducing our cholesterol, um, decreasing inhibitions, uh, psychological wellness, emotional wellness can all be improved through increased sexual activity. Okay, so on that note, we're going to just leave people hanging for a minute, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly, but instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the cancer coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine, navigating the cancer maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Serena Wathwa at gmail.com. That's Dr. Serena W A D H W A at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right. Well, welcome back. And hopefully, you did not uh, fall off your seat as you were waiting for these benefits of sexual health because I know as soon as Dr. James said that, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. I, I need to hear have this. More sex. I need no. to have more sex. 
<laughs> so, so let's let's go back. Um, and if you can just briefly talk about, you know, what you mentioned before the uh, the break. What are what are these benefits? You know, why why do people or what can they, um, you know, look forward to? Perhaps not necessarily expect, of course, but just what are some of the benefits that people may gain? Um, by by having more appropriate and healthy sexual activity. Um, well, it it covers a wide range, and I know that uh, Planned Parenthood had put out a white paper um, seven or eight years ago that talks about the health benefits of sexual expression, and it, it includes mm-hmm. our physical health. Um, there's studies with longevity that we're going to live longer if we have uh, more sexual activity and more. Um, positive sexual activity, so frequency of orgasm and mortality was studied. So the more we're able to kind of experience that sexual pleasure, the longer we're going to live. Um, Reductions in things like our our heart disease and stroke and type 2 diabetes, um, those risks are reduced through sexual activity. Um, uh, Sexual expression may lead to a decrease in... uh, the risk of cancer because of some of the levels of uh, oxytocin, which mm-hmm. are associated with arousal and orgasm in women and men. So breast cancer, prostate cancer risk are lowered through sexual expression. Wow. Um, research has shown that sexual activity and orgasm may bolster the immune system in men and women. So when we have quality sex, we're gonna, we, our health is going to benefit as, as a result. Um, we sleep better. Uh, we look more youthful. Um, there's a re- reduction in uh, fertility uh, issues, menstrual oh, cycle mm. regularity, relief of menstrual cramps, women. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> hey, who doesn't want to, re- you know, have that, that? Uh, be better for us? Uh, pain well, management, and it also, pain it management also... and physical relaxation, migraine, muscle relaxation. Uh, and there's a lot of benefits for psychological, emotional, social, and spiritual health. A lot of the say, research that's published about the impact of sexual activity focuses on potential hazards such as abuse and sexual dysfunction, but there's a growing body of research that demonstrates sexual expression. They have benefits for improving quality of life and self-esteem for reducing stress, depression, and suicide. So there's lots of different benefits to mm-hmm. A more engaged, um, appropriate for oneself sexual life. Sure, and and, and, it, and the better we feel about who we are as sexual beings, uh, the less stress we're going to have in our lives. Because I think that there's so much sexual sh- shame that people experience as a result of living in the society and being exposed to. Uh, some of the negative impacts that if we don't have a way, we don't have a place to talk about that and to process that in in a way that we can turn it around so we can uh, feel better about who we are, it's going to have a neg- negative impact on our lives. Do you think that's also, um, is it is it strictly then just about more sexual activity or does that also involve like, you know, some no, of the things no, you it mentioned? Involves being intimate with a person because that whole piece of intimacy uh, arousal when you're with your partner, you're with that person you love and you're touching each other and you're being romantic and you're kissing, it releases the hormones. So it's not just about the necessarily the activity itself, but just having that connection and mm-hmm. then being able to express yourself 
through that connection that so you can, can contribute to it. You can experience then some of these benefits even by just increasing um, your um, ability to sexually express yourself, whether it be like giving hugs, whether it be touching people appropriately, um, you know, whether it be having an orgasm. Okay, okay. Experiencing arousal and desire and pleasure. So exposing yourself, I mean, not exposing yourself, but like going out and just well, kind of no. seeing what's out there for yourself that you that brings you pleasure. Just kind of, it sounds like just, just knowing and, and kind of trying new things even that may do that for you could be beneficial. Yeah. Okay. Okay. With, you know, with being intimate with another person, there's a surge in the oxytocin um, and, and that stimulates feelings of affection, intimacy, and closeness with the sex partner. Yeah. I wanted to, um, you know, before we close out here today is, you know, you mentioned this uh, notion of, um, and I'm not, I don't quite remember how you said it, but this like um, the shame that surrounds uh, um, sexual Sexual health. Sexual shame. Sexual shame. And it it, it made me um, wonder about, you know, because I know in part of your research, you talk about sexual self-esteem, which is just kind of a very different sense of self-esteem. And and can you just give like a really brief, um, what is that? Why is it important? Oh, sure. Uh, sexual self-esteem is about, uh, when we think about self-esteem, self-esteem is about how we feel as a person and our ability to self-actualize and uh, the self-efficacy that we have with, you know, feeling good about who we are. And, and sexual self-esteem has to do with that, but in a way that has to do with our sexuality. So when we look at the sexuality components that we're talked about in this, you know, our time together around our sexual identity, around our uh, issues of intimacy, uh, around sexualization, if we have negative feelings about who we are, that contributes to sexual shame. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I grow up and um, I'm raised in a society, I'm, you know, that is a heterosexist society, and I realize I have attractions to somebody of the same sex, um, but my religion and my family tell me that, you know, that's not acceptable, and, you know, um, they, they provide negative messages around that and no support. If that's really who I feel I am, I will grow up if I don't have positive support, feeling badly about myself, uh, having negative sexual self-esteem in the area of sexual identity. Mm. Uh, and that can have an impact of increased risk for suicide, increased risk for substance abuse, um, increased risk for uh, negative uh, or, or higher sexual risk behaviors, uh, trying to uh, seek out engagement to meet people. Um, if I don't live in an area where I have... Uh, you know, easier access to partners. Um, so if I feel badly about myself because of uh, the fantasies that I have or some of the okay. uh, abuse situations that I may have gone through in my life, or maybe I'm infertile and I can't have children and society tells me that as a woman, your value is placed on your ability to reproduce and have children. And so well, that can yes. also contribute so- to, and this was very critical with a lot of the research we've done with the women is their ability, inability to have children really uh, made them feel badly about themselves. So they uh, continue to drink and develop drinking problems and, and substance abuse problems based on not being able to kind of process uh, that component of their sexual self-esteem. 
So it sounds like, I mean, the sexual self-esteem really relates to some of these um, areas that you talked about earlier today and in relation to sexual health, like sensuality, intimacy, identity, yeah, uh, quote-unquote the plumbing. Yes, and I would go to say that uh, negative sexual self-esteem is, is about negative sexual wellness. And, and if we have kind of identified for ourselves areas that we feel negatively about our sexuality or we're not okay with that, that being able to improve that and increase our sexual self-esteem will increase our ability to be a sexually well, sexually whole person. Well, and on that note, that, I mean, because that's a great that's a great thing for people to hold on to. And we're actually out of time today, so I'm wondering if you could share um, a, a way for listeners to contact you if they have questions. Oh, sure. Uh, I have a Facebook page. Um, it's www.facebook.com backslash Dr. Raven's book. We'll take you to my page. You could also email me at uh, dr.ravenjames, R-A-V-E-N-J-A-M-E-S, at att.net. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today's show and talking about sexual wellness. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. All right. Have a sexual weekend. Thanks for listening in. Stay tuned for next week. Thanks again for making the first of hopefully many changes this week by tuning in to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time. Dr. Serena Wadwa hopes that you'll join her again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. Have a great week.